Can you think of a time in your life where you were a part of a group of people that was working to accomplish a common goal and what it was like to achieve that goal or even the process of working towards that goal? Because I've played a lot of sports in my life, I think of a sports team, uh, first of all. Maybe I've shared the story with you before of our uh, college intramural football team. In my first year as a student at Briarcrest College, I was throwing a football around with some some guys I was just meeting in the lawn uh, outside of our dorm. And they said to me, hey, you know how to throw a football. You should come be the quarterback of our intramural football team. And I said, that sounds like fun. I've never played football or been a quarterback, but that sounds like it could be exciting. And I soon learned the legend of the faculty football team at Briarcrest. The legend had grown to the point where no one could remember the last time that they lost a single game, much less the championship game. And so this was our goal. This was our mission. We need to take down the faculty team. This could be our year. So we gathered our team together and we started playing and we were playing well. We were winning most of our games. We played the faculty football team during the regular season and lost to them, by not by too much. And we thought if we made a few adjustments, maybe we could beat them if we meet them in the playoffs. And sure enough, who was waiting for us in the final game? But the faculty football team led by their quarterback, Dr. Wes Olmsted, who had some college football experience. We started out really well. We, we were up by two or three touchdowns early in the game. And then in the second half, they started to come back. And uh, it got pretty close. We were on the defensive. We, we weren't able to get much going on offense. And it came down to the very last play of the game. They needed a touchdown in order to win the game. And they were at about midfield. So Dr. Olmstead took the ball and he waited for his receivers to get all the way down the field. And he was running zigzags, trying to get away from my friend Matt, who was trying to catch him. And eventually he slipped and fell down and my friend caught him and we won the game. We had taken down the faculty football team. It was quite the celebration. But I'm, I'm bringing this up to say we couldn't have done it if every single person on that team hadn't have bought into the mission and their role on the team. We couldn't have done it without my friend Rankin. Rankin was the center, so he snapped the ball. He would take five steps then and turn around. And when we needed short yardage or if I needed to get rid of the ball quick, I'd throw it to him. He would catch it and lumber as far down the field as he could before someone faster than him would catch him. We couldn't have done it without my friend Mike. He's the fastest guy on the field in every game that we played. And in fact, one of the key plays in the second half in that final game was a, a little out route that he took and, and ran down the field. And I just lofted the ball up and he ran into it and scored a touchdown. We couldn't have done it without my friend Matt. He was the one who chased down Dr. Olmsted at the end of the game. He was tenacious on defense and, and getting the flag of the quarterback or someone running with the ball. We couldn't have done it without my friend Evan, a big giant man who would, would be uh, effective on, on defense, knocking down the ball and also could, could catch as a receiver. We couldn't have done it without my friend Scott, who was a good receiver, but also a good quarterback. So when I wasn't playing well, he would step in and throw the ball. We all had our part to play. We all had a role, and we all bought into that role, and we were able to accomplish something that was pretty fun. Now, there are things more important in life than winning an intramural football league, and you probably see where I'm going with this analogy, that the church is made up of people that each have a role to play, and we have a mission that we're pursuing together. So it's the church that we want to turn our attention to this morning, and here's our big idea there, are no, there is no such thing as an individual Christian. We all need each other. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. We need each other. The, the church, of course, is this movement uh, established by Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 16, he's talking to Peter. And in the course of this conversation, he says to Peter, I will build my church 
and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will build my church, and the church will be part of this spiritual battle, but it will not lose. I will see that it prevails. Nothing will overpower this movement that I'm starting in the church. And really, when you look at history, there's no reason for the church to be around still today other than the fact that it had divine help. If you read the book of Acts, you read that the disciples received the Holy Spirit and started to preach, and they were persecuted almost immediately, so they scattered. And when they scattered, they started preaching to the, in the places that they had scattered to, and then they were persecuted there. And in the first few centuries of the church, there was so much oppression, so many times when, when governments tried to stamp out this movement, and yet it persisted. And not only did it persist, but it grew, and it grew, and it grew. There's no reason that it survived that first century other than the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will overcome it. That promise is still in place. Jesus still says, I will build my church and I am building my church. But we also have to recognize that in the North American context, uh, the, the church is in decline. At least numerically, the church is in decline. There was a, a poll done in the United States, reported in the National Post a few weeks ago. Uh, they've done this poll for about 80 years where they survey people and ask people if they consider themselves to be part of a church. And for the first time in this survey in the United States, under 50% of people said that they belonged to a church. And if you break that down by age, millennials were the least likely to say they belonged to a church. 38% of them said that they belong to a church. So you can extrapolate into the future and do the math that if the younger generations are connecting with church less than the older generations, the number of people engaged in the church is going to continue to decline. Closer to home in British Columbia, there is a, a national household survey done in 2011. 44% of British Columbians said they had no re religious identity. Not just that they weren't Christians, but they had no religious identity whatsoever. Now, that's 10 years ago. You can imagine that number has crept up a little bit in the 10 years since then. And the church has faced challenges and people have walked away from the church for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes people have seen the hypocrisy in the church and said, I, I can't belong to a movement that is, has that kind of hypocrisy in it. Or we've all seen leaders who are public and, and uh, prominent leaders in the church who proclaimed one thing from the pulpit but then lived another way and, and took advantage of people or abused people or, or lived in a completely contrary uh, ways to the ways that they taught. And that's shattered the confidence of a lot of people in the church. Perhaps you've had painful experiences in the church where churches have split or there's been conflict within the church that has caused pain. The church is not a perfect institution. And yet... Jesus still says, I will build my church. And to that promise, we still continue to cling. Jesus isn't changing strategies now to say the church is no longer important. Now, the church continues to be important in God's mission in the world. So we're going to look at reasons why this is still the case today. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the church, about who we should be, and we're going to be ending our time today with a formal invitation 
to membership at Ross Road Community Church. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But just like last week when we talked about baptism, I know I'm talking to two different audiences. There are some of you who are members at Ross Road Community Church and have been for a long time. So when there's a formal invitation into membership, there's nothing for you to do except for me to ask you to consider how it is that you're investing in the mission that we're on together. When you became a member, you signed a membership covenant. Are you still abiding by what it is that you pledge to the church? And then the second group of you maybe haven't been, become members yet at Ross Road Community Church. And so I'll be inviting you to think about that uh, at the end. But first, let's think about the church and let's think about it through the lens of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul uses a metaphor here that has been a favorite of Mennonite brethren and Anabaptists uh, for centuries now. And I think you'll see why as we unpack it. So 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. Paul says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So Paul says, just like a human body is made up of many parts, eyes and ears and hearts and lungs and knees and toes, so the body of Christ is made up of many different parts. But I want you to catch a, a subtlety in this verse uh, that makes a big difference, okay? Paul says, the body is many parts, but it forms one body. We might expect him to say, so it is with the church. The church is made up of many different parts, but it's one body. But he doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, the body is made up of many parts and they make one whole. And he says, so it is with Christ, Christ has chosen to represent himself through his people, through the church. We are members of Christ's body. So let's pretend like I'm the little toe in this body, okay? I'm not the little toe of the church. I'm the little toe of Christ. We are Jesus' hands and feet in the world. So that when the church takes action in the world, it's like Christ himself is taking action in the world. So it is with Christ. All of the parts work together. Our confession of faith says it like this, though God reveals himself in many ways, the church is the primary place of God's presence in the world and the primary means of God's mission in the world. This is how God has cho chosen to represent himself. His body is the church and we are Christ's body. This means that we are the people of God. This is where we get our identity as, as individuals, as a part of this collective whole, as the people of God. And as the people of God, we are called to worship him. We are called to praise him. We are called to pray together. We are called to study God's word together. We are called to hold each other accountable. We are called to have community with one another. And we are called to be on mission together. Now, we are not a church with a mission. We are a church on mission because we are the people of God. So let's carry on then, starting in verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, 
but one body. What we see here is the principle of interdependence. We are not just individuals. We need each other. We depend on one another. Uh, Every part, every person in the body has a job to do. Just like on my intramural football team, we all had a job to do. We knew what it was and we committed ourselves to it in service of the common mission. The same is true within the body of Christ. You can't opt out of the body if you're a follower of Jesus. You can't say, I like Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of his church. But that, that's, that's contradictory to what the New Testament teaches. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. We need each other. And, and sure, the church is flawed in, in many ways, and, and, and people fail within the church. But as Kerry Newhoff says, disconnecting yourself from community is actually less faithful than connecting yourself to a flawed community. We need each other. We're not always perfect, but we need each other. I had a a brand new experience the other week. I went to the chiropractor for the first time. Uh, I was having some, some tightness in my shoulders and in my back. And also when I was running, I was noticing my right ankle didn't seem to have as, as much range of motion as my left ankle. And so I went into the office and you have to fill out a, a form telling them about all your problems. And there's a long list of things like what, what's exactly wrong with you. And I also noticed that headaches were on there. And I thought, yeah, I have actually lately have some, some headaches that have been worse than any other headaches I've ever had. So I'll check that off as well. So I went in and started talking with the chiropractor and she started talking about some of the, the problems I was having. And so then she started kind of poking around in my back, just kind of feeling where things were out of place. And she got to my right hip and she said, do you have any problems with your right hip? I said, no, I've never noticed anything. Well, she said, well, it's all locked up. And probably this is why your ankle is giving you problems is because your hip is all locked up. And she said, it's like this. I'm going to butcher this because I'm not a chiropractor. She said, your hips sit like this, but sometimes one of them can get cranked kind of like this. And then your whole leg is out of alignment. So she said, that's probably causing your ankle problems. In fact, she got down to my ankles and she tested my range of motion. And she said, your, your range of motion in your right ankle is actually better than your left ankle. There's no problem in your ankle. The problem is in your hip. And functionally, she said, it's almost as if your right leg is an inch and a half shorter than your left leg, which is why you're feeling the problem in your ankle when you're running because your foot is trying to reach the ground. And by the time it reaches the ground, there's not, enough, there's not much movement left to give. I thought, wow, the the interconnectedness of the body. Then she was feeling in my neck. She said, you've been having headaches. I said, yep. She said, this is why right in your neck, there's three muscles here that form a triangle and they're really tight. This is what's giving you headaches. And I thought, wow, the the interconnectedness of the body. I would never have thought of those things if she hadn't been able to diagnose that the interdependence in my body was, was causing these things. It's like that in the body of Christ. We are interdependent. We need one another. What I do influences you, and what you do influences me. We are not just individuals loosely connected to one another. We are a body that functions best when we're all doing the job that we are intended to do. We're not individuals. Our confession of faith says this, terms like saints or faithful ones or righteous ones are always plural in the New Testament. Such terms describe the nature of the church rather than the individual Christian life. Thus, the church is a saintly community, a holy people set apart by and for God. The church is described as disciples, the way, slaves, friends, witnesses, a household. 
Christians are described as children or as brothers and sisters in a common family. The point of all these images is that the church is a plurality of people viewed as a collective whole. And in the New Testament, the whole is always prior to the individual and gives identity to the individual rather than the reverse, as in the Western world. We need one another. We actually get our identity as people because of our connection to one another, because we are the people of God. This is why the New Testament has uh, at least 59 one another commands. Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, admonish one another, and so on and so on. We are called to live in this community. The New York Times uh, reported research that showed that, that loneliness, disconnection, is actually more damaging to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes every day. Right? I don't think that's a stretch for us to understand given the year we've just come through. And I think we've learned in the last year that you still can experience community if you will work for it. But it's been a whole lot harder to make that happen. And for some people, the virtual connection just doesn't feel the same as the in-person connection or just doesn't do it. But we still need one another. We cannot do the Christian life alone. Paul continues in verse 21, the eye, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, so that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What do we see here? We see that every part matters equally. Every part matters equally. We might have different roles, but we all have the same value. Some, some jobs might seem less honorable or less exciting maybe, but they have the same value. Uh, Holly and I do a, a podcast uh, for the church, the Ross Road Connect podcast. Which, by the way, promo, you can find on our church app or on our website or on Spotify. Uh, we hope to get it on Apple Podcasts one day, but that's been a challenge. Anyways, we had a conversation recently with Karen Lowen, who is a counselor and works with child, uh, children and youth. And uh, this episode will be released this week, by the way. So uh, if you're looking for it, it's coming. She was talking about some research that happened uh, recently that discovered that serotonin, which is a chemical produced in your body, it's called the happiness chemical. So if you're feeling happy, it's because your body's producing serotonin. Uh, I've always just assumed that it's produced in the brain, and it is produced in the brain. But she was telling us that research has showed that serotonin is actually produced most in the intestines. Did you know this? It's produced most in the intestines. And, and so th there's actually correlation here. So if someone suffers a brain injury... It, within a matter of hours, there's, there's often a physical response in the gut because there's this connection between the brain and the intestine. But if you had showed me a picture of the brain and the intestine and said, which is most important, I would have picked the brain 10 times out of 10. The intestine to me feels like one of the last stops uh, for waste on its way out of the body. Important, yes, but the brain runs everything. Now, they're both necessary. 
they both have important functions within the body. And so it is in the body of Christ. We have different roles. We have different functions. Uh, I might be called to be the lead pastor of this church, but that doesn't give me any special value over and above anybody else. You have your own role to play within the body. Different responsibility, but your own role to play. And when I don't do my job, you suffer. And when you don't do your job, I suffer. And we suffer. We all need each other. So then Paul goes on in verse 27 to say, Now you, you are a part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The implied answer to all of those questions is no. Everybody doesn't do all of those things, but certain people do. And then Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And he'll get back to what he means by greater gifts in chapter 14, but not after spending an entire chapter talking about the importance of exercising gifts with love. And if you have gifts but not love, they don't actually amount to anything. There are different lists of some of these uh, jobs in, in the New Testament or some of these roles, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. And we could talk about spiritual gifts and what exactly your role is. That's a topic for another time. But the point is that we all have a role. It's almost like Paul in verse 27 says, okay, the metaphor has been spelled out for you now. The church is the body of Christ. Now you are a part of it, so do your job. You're a part of it, so do your job. That's what Paul wants to say. No one doesn't have a job. We all have work to do in this common mission that God has given us as a church. Because here's the thing, you don't go to church, you are the church. This is a reality that, that has crashed home for us uh, in the last year in a different kind of way than it ever has before. We, we still are the church, even though we're not meeting physically together. And even though today we're bringing back to the forefront our extending our impact building project, we are not our building either. I have said to people, if the building at 3160 burns, uh, Ross Road burns to the ground, Ross Road Community Church still exists just as much as it did before. Now, our building is a tool for ministry, and we ought to care for it. And so investing in it and in this in extending our impact project makes a lot of sense for us, and we ought to carry on with that. But we don't put our identity in what it is we want to build. Our identity is as a group of people, the people of God, joined together on mission. Jesus never said, attend me. He said, follow me. Part of following him will be attending church and being a part of the gathering of God's people. But the goal is not to attend, it's to engage the mission. I can remember uh, as a teenager, I played two years of junior B hockey. Uh, the first year I made the team as a 15-year-old, which I wasn't expecting, and I don't think the team was expecting either. But I made the team out of training camp. My second year, I got to training camp with the attitude of, well, I'm a veteran now. I made the team last year. I'm going to make the team again. And so I had done no preparation. I had not worked out. I had not gone running to get myself in shape. I just showed up. And so I remember the first day of dryland training, we went for a run and then we were doing push-ups and sit-ups. And I was around all of these guys who were hungry to make the team. And the number of sit-ups I could do was laughable compared to everybody else. They were way higher than me. 
I wanted to be part of the team, but I didn't want to put in the work. Folks, that's not how the Christian life works. You don't just attend without being a part of the mission. You can't be a Christian in name only. It requires action. And there's no such thing as an individual Christian. We need each other in this mission that God has given us. James Brownson says that human associations exist to pursue the ends and goals of the individuals who make up the group. This is certainly not the most important goal or purpose of the church, which is blessed to be a blessing, called by God to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So church members then see themselves as on a mission, agents of Christ in a secular world. They recognize their own personal satisfaction or fulfillment is secondary to fulfilling that mission. So as we end, let's talk about church membership. Why church membership and why formal church membership? Now, this is, this is something that's a church membership formally is not something that's prescribed in, in a set way in the New Testament. So there's a difference between this week and last week. Last week, I looked at you and I said, if you are, are a, a person who is old enough to, to make this choice for yourself and you have not been baptized, there's a clear command in Scripture that you ought to be baptized. And so actually not being baptized it would actually be disobedience to the command of Jesus. Okay, I don't have that same authority when I talk about church membership because the New Testament doesn't spell it out exactly how local churches should, uh, should operate in terms of church membership. However, what we've seen in, in 1 Corinthians 12 is that being, uh, being a believer and being baptized into the body of Christ means that there is an association with the local church. But the New Testament then doesn't say, well, you need to take a class and you need to sign a form and you need to do this and do that. And that's what formal membership will look like. Certainly, it doesn't conceive of, of, um, of the kind of government requirements that, that, that nonprofits are required to fulfill and voting on budgets and all of that kind of thing, though that comes with formal membership. Now, the New Testament doesn't talk about those things specifically. But what I am saying to you is that membership in the church is an important thing. We, we are not individual Christians. We cannot do this alone. I know that, that there are those of you and, and some of you that I've talked to that, that kind of uh, push back a bit against the formality of membership and say, I can be equally committed to the body. I can be equally invested in the mission without becoming a formal member. That's probably true. But I'm asking you, why not formalize that relationship in membership with us at Ross Road if this is the church that you are going to, to participate in? So what does the membership process look like at Ross Road? Well, there's a membership class happening next Sunday, April the 25th at 1.30 online uh, that I'll be leading. Uh, a number of people are already signed up for that. We'd love to have, have more if, if, um, if you'd like to join us there. We go through in that class what it means to be a member of a church, the, the responsibilities of, a mem- of being a member, the, the benefits of being a member. We talk about our church and our theology, what it is we believe. We talk about uh, our church history, who we are. And then after that, we'd have you share your, your testimony with our elders uh, and, and then share your testimony with the church, either in written or verbal form. Becoming a formal member cements your intention to be a part of Ross Road Community Church and the mission that we have in front of us. It's commitment. Now, we are not perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church. If you hang around long enough, I will say something that you disagree with. Or we will sing a song that you didn't think was great. Or you will meet people that smell funny. 
or you will find personalities that maybe you wouldn't hang out with otherwise. It's part of being the family. But we are a family because we have a mission that we've been called to. We firmly see ourselves as pursuing the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Our vision is to be a welcoming, Christ-centered community that glorifies God by impacting individuals and families near and far. And there are some really cool things happening here as we pursue that together. And some of you, many of you, have committed yourselves to this already and are giving of yourself to see this vision and this mission come to life. And if you're not, we're inviting you to join us in that. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will overcome it. The gates of hell will not overpower the church. We're on a divinely inspired mission with divine strength behind us. So would you join us in that? So two questions. If you're already a member, how are you investing in the life of the church? If you had signed that covenant when you became a member, are you living up to the the things that you declared in that? And if you're not a member, would you consider joining us in participating in the mission of God in Abbotsford, in British Columbia, and in our world? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have called us to be your body. Thank you that you have called us to participate in the life of the church, to be your body, your hands and feet in the world. Jesus, we take that seriously. And we we recognize and affirm again today that we need one another as a part of this, this journey. So Father, help us as a church, as Ross Road Community Church, to be effective in carrying out this mission that you've given to us. Fill us with your spirit that we might be empowered to do this thing. And may the community that is formed here be honoring to you and be a witness to our world of your love. Amen.